0: Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Predictive Form Brisnet.com Preview Podcast. Somewhat of a holiday edition, but more to the point, a great race place edition. Santa Anita Park open Saturday, December twenty-sixth. It's traditional. Opening day, uh, they have run some Christmas cards uh, way back in the past, but the 26 is where it's landed. A lot of good racing at Santa Anita throughout its winter-spring meeting, and good racing kicks it off on Saturday. A couple of great ones, the La Brea for three-year-old fillies going seven furlongs, and its counterpart for males, the Malibu Stakes. And it attracted a likely champion in Twinspires.com, Breeders' Cup Sprint winner, win, <coughs> winner, Run Happy, who has a five-race winning streak coming into this and is six for seven lifetime and uh, truly uh, overshadowed by American Pharaoh, rightfully so. Pharaoh being a Triple Crown Breeders' Cup winner, but Run Happy, absolutely one of the stars. People are looking forward to seeing racing next year and we'll get a taste of what might be in store for us in the Malibu, but it's going to be a short price, and to help us understand or figure out whether we want to take that short price is Danny Zucker. Danny, how are you? Good to be back with you, Ed. Absolutely. It's been too long, but uh, it's good to have a break. Uh, Definitely racing on the the lighter side uh, between Thanksgiving and uh, the holiday uh, but here we are on the cusp of Santa Anita opening, and uh, before you know it, we'll be getting into the Derby Triple Crown preps before too long. And uh, a great uh, opening day card at, at Santa Anita with the Malibu, and uh, looking forward to hearing your thoughts.
1: Yeah, well, it, uh, it's good to be back at Santa Anita. You know, I worked, <clears throat> I worked uh, with HRTV for a number of years, and so I do have an affinity towards the racetrack it's interesting not so much outside of the industry but in the industry there's been so much drama about run happy and the connections and the previous trainer um that you know some things will be some things on saturday might have a little bit more karma to it than i think just racing <laughs>
0: Well, I've certainly had uh, a lot of chatter about derby gods and things like that. Uh, obviously not in, in play here with the derby, but racing definitely has a way of bringing karma into the equation. Uh, it is, You know, Laura Woolers is going to get a lot of attention, uh, and, you know, there's a lot of things at play. Uh, the horse did win its debut was greener than grass in it, though, uh, swerving all over the place, it was absolutely dreadful at fairgrounds. Um, wasn't the favorite if they ran that race now he probably would be even with Laura Wooler as a trainer. Interestingly enough, though, as much as she is under the radar and her horses don't seem to be as well prepared as you know you might expect from an outfit sending out Grade One winners, she does have a positive ROI lifetime as a trainer. Her win percentage is pretty gaudy. Uh, you know she's getting expensive horses that Mattress Mac or brother-in-law pays for, uh, but. The question comes down if you're taking a short price on Run Happy. She's absolutely a part of the handicapping process. Uh, before we get into the numbers and all that, how are you a- approaching her involvement?
1: Well, uh, let's, let's say I I can just take her out of the equation for a minute and, and let's do what we do at Predictive Forum, which is look at the numbers. Um, you know, Run Happy clearly is, we talked about being one of the better performances over that Breeders' Cup weekend um, he ran an 80.5 with an 85 for furlong figure, and uh, that 80.5 was close to a lifetime top. It was up six points off the race prior. It, you know, there, I, I do give him a knockdown after coming off the Breeders' Cup, and the reason that is that it's just a high-pressure, big race, and the first out back is always takes the horse a little time to get accustomed to, whether it's a, a quick turn back or something longer like here. So from my standpoint you you have a horse who ran basically has run 81 81 75 80 and the likelihood of repeating in 80 stre- stretching out to 7 furlongs is probably the same as it is regressing and so I would put a I would put a fair value on this horse at even money and I think you're going to see less than that you know add to it the fact that she is the horse is moving trainers and I think this is a co- pretty competitive field. I see a couple others running in here. I certainly would not be buying Run Happy. Not that I ever buy favorites, but in this case, I think there's too much stacked against Run Happy to uh to back the horse.
0: Interesting uh
1: you know from pure just
0: numbers standpoint uh looking at Brisnet, he is I mean, there's just not not anyone in his league. Um, now, that's not to say that a horse can't improve, and, you know, there becomes to me there becomes a price to me where, yeah, you don't want to take them. I'd probably go a notch below even money, uh, four to five. Not that I make wind bets at four to five, but I couldn't fault others for taking that price if that's their game. Uh, to me, he's certainly at six to five morning line, he's certainly a, a heavy single uh, for me but he will be for a lot of people so you know maybe there isn't value there so it's it's good to hear uh-huh. you're willing to take a shot against uh there's only one horse in the field that i i give absolutely zero chance to if he wins uh something bad happened <laughs> in the race would be my suspicion yep. uh yep, but yep. you know there number are others one.
1: we you know what's that i would say you're saying number one pain and misery right Uh,
0: Actually, I think Bad Reed Sanchez, uh, his highest speed ratings in 90, which was in his career debut, going five, uh, you know. I I mean, they are three-year-olds. They're they're growing up. Doug O'Neill certainly knows how to, uh, you know, turn the screws. So, you know, 50 to one, I guess, that'd be the right price. But uh, anyway, there are a a few in here uh, that have run 100-plus, which gets him in the conversation at least. Uh, to me, it's the type of race where I think if you're against run happy, you still want to find maybe, because it's a short field, you still want to find two or three that you're willing to lean on. Um, and I guess we can start from the inside, since it doesn't sound like you'll have much to say about pain and misery. Uh, loser last out turns back to seven furlongs. Uh, I should say a nose loser last out. He almost got the job done in the Zia Park Derby. Uh, that's a listed race, though. This is a great one, and this just seems a little above his scope.
1: Agreed, yeah, and his figures are declining, 73, 73, 71. I think this is the one that I would toss of of the seven in here that I think has no shot.
0: Hmm. All right, uh, well, to his outside is uh, one of two Kieran McLaughlin uh, shippers from New York, and uh, we'll talk about the other one right after because he's in number three. Uh, but first of all is uh, marking, uh, undefeated in two starts by a combined uh, about eight lengths, uh, Look the part of a future stakes winner winning at Aqueduct, and that nine winners a one. Big step up here. He's facing the Breeders' Cup Sprint winner who has a grade one at seven furlongs. Uh, but a lot of buzz about this horse. Would he make a markings, uh, shipping out, and trying to sure. join one company?
1: So in the value plays, and I'm going to start to referring back to the value plays as we do these conversations in 2016, Uh, He's listed as the third choice in the value plays, but, again, that's based on morning line odds. That's not based on uh, uh, as we get closer to post time. So the thing about marking, of course, is uh, he is by – his dam is 7th Street. 7th Street was a really good horse Ed won maybe $700,000 lifetime. I did take a look at 7th Street. And the two races that she struggled in were seven furlong races. Now they're going at seven furlongs. I don't know how much impact that's going to make. Um, From a figure perspective, the compression line first out of 76 is like a tremendous number. And then coming back, running a soft pattern, 74, I would say Barking is probably set to move forward in a big way. Um, And when we talk about Run Happy, and I'll bring this up now, Run Happy has a tendency to not break well. So I, I think Run Happy gets out broken. Historically he has uh been off slow but he's you know, he, he rushes up per se. So if you have one or two horses that can beat him to the lead and then he's gonna rush up, but maybe the horses are a little more stout than the competition he's faced, that could be a negative. I think I think because Godolphin has two horses in here, you see two distinct running styles, it would make me uh, feel a little bit more like marking is gonna be push towards the lead, especially knowing what we know about Run Happy, that historically the horse hasn't, as I mentioned, broken well on top. I think from a figure perspective, Barking is showing all the right signs to move forward off that 74.
0: Alright, uh, and
1: another horse uh, looking to
0: sort of I mean, you could say step forward uh, mm-hmm. back into grade one company, ran in the King's Bishop in his second career star against Run Happy, took a lot of money that day for it being his second start against some decent horses uh, right. and was beaten six-and-a-half lengths, was way out of it. Um, maybe some different dynamics here uh, in that non-winners of one, which he won at Keeneland, uh, his pace ratings uh, were actually a little slower than the kings Bishop, So I'm not sure how far out of it he's going to be here. To me, that is uh-huh. a concern. But, as you said, marking might go with them. Uh, excuse me, i go with one, run happy. Uh, Battery Sanchez, who I tipped is not having, to me, much of a shot, but his only shot will be on the lead, so he might be going. That could help set it up for Watershed. I would need a little more than the four-to-one, though, given how I think the, the pace will affect his chances. Uh, but to me, this absolutely is a horse I, I want to watch going forward. I'm just not sure this is the spot.
1: Right, and Watershed, from the value plays, is the uh, second pick. Um, and it's coming off the uh, the soft pattern, but you know, look, I, I can't back run happy, and I can't back run happy at even money or less, which is where the horse is going to be. So I, I have to think in this race that this, a stalking or a deep closing position might not be bad. I really think, and uh, I'm going to hop out to the outside because it's it's timely. I think Bad Reed Sanchez is going to gun to the lead. I mean, it, you know, he's a Doug, Doug O'Neill runner, Mario Gutierrez. The horse has shown signs that he can go. He breaks quickly, and um, you know he's got the experience at Santa Anita. O'Neill does, and O'Neill o- 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 has an advantage there. I don't think Bad Reed Sanchez is going to be able to win the race necessarily, but I think he could be enough of a nuisance for Run Happy that the race could set up for uh, for a horse like Watershed. So I would I would probably lean towards Watershed. Um, even more so than I would marking as the value play says hmm.
0: all right, and uh as we get to run happy is number four, worth noting that everyone in the field but run happy carrying one eighteen uh run happy is a two time grade one winner uh five pounds extra at one twenty three uh five pounds not a not a huge deal, but I mean if you think it'll be close uh it is could be one factor in a reason not to take uh, an absurd price like three to five or one to two. Normally John White really sharp with the morning lines. I know he puts a lot into it, but I just don't see how this horse is six to five. Uh, you know, he probably had to play a little bit to make certain horses uh, a price uh, that he wanted a little lower, but it, He's going to be odds-on, as you say, and, you know, to me, the line is four to five where I'm interested for you. It's even money. Uh, I think it'll be lower than that, so we're both probably out. Uh, But here we are at Run Happy. Some gate issues. Uh, He has one gate to wire. He pressed the pace last time when he won the sprint at Keeneland. Uh, Wins from uh, six to seven furlongs. His one try around two turns was a disaster. but probably some extenuating circumstances. I imagine we'll see him try that again. But first, mm-hmm. he has to conquer this. Gary <clears throat> Stevens in the bike, Edgar Prado off because of injury. He's absolutely the most likely winner, but it sounds mm-hmm. like you think he can be beat.
1: Well, the, the knocks on Run Happy from a pace figure perspective are twofold. First, that number that he ran at Keeneland was, uh, was enormous. You know, an 80 with an 85 four furlong figure is very fast. And and not only that, but it was up five points from his previous effort. So stringing together four 80s with 85 plus four furlong figures in five races uh, over a course of eight months is a difficult thing to do. I, I think there's more likely regression here from run happy to 78, 77, or 78, so that uh, one of the other horses here needs to step up two or three points and can contend. Um, so I don't like that. I'm not, you know, I'm not a buyer of horses coming out of the Breeders' Cup, especially at this price, right? It doesn't make, it's enough of a knock. Plus, you know, you have the whole trainer thing. and I don't know why John would make this horse six to five. As you said, you know, you don't go off at the Breeders' Cup at, at three to two, come back in the next race for a lot less money against what is... You know, there's no grade one winners in here, or I guess maybe El Kabir, and you're at morning line six to five. So I think you're going to get three to five here, maybe one to two. People like the front-running style. They like to back Gary. So there'll be a lot of reasons uh, otherwise to take a look elsewhere. Um, and from a value pers- value play perspective, again, uh, he is the top contender but that's at six to five. I would imagine if you use the race analyzer, I'll do that while we're chatting and you kind of update where we think these odds are going to fall, it might change. Where would you put watershed? Uh,
0: I mean, that's the thing. I think the, the prices he has on the others are, are probably closer. Um, and my sense is if you added these up, um, you built in probably a pretty nice edge. So, yeah, you know I think Marking will be three to one, Watershed seven to two, four to one, uh, and then El Kabir I kind of thought he would be a shorter price than Lord Nelson, um, uh-huh. just with some name recognition and you know owner of American yep. Pharaoh, Not that yep. people bet owners per se, but he's a name people know more than Lord Nelson, who uh, has burned some money
1: uh, uh-huh.
0: this past year so. Uh-huh. So I have, yeah, I, I think parking I and watershed are in that ballpark.
1: Yeah, I I, I have watershed at f- uh, five to one. I have marking at seven to two. It's kind of where I would. This is what I would say. I have um, pain and misery at fifty to one, and bad Reed Sanchez at forty-five to one, and I have Lord Nelson at ten to one or twelve to one, and El Kabir at eight to one.
0: And at those odds does the the value play stay true to the morning line or the Yeah, yeah, the I mean it? the
1: value play is not going to change just because we're unhappy uh, from a figure perspective, um, just as the best this last final figure is leaps and bounds ahead of these. So again, you know, from a figure perspective, the top contenders are unhappy, but at, at that short of a price, the predictive form would tell you to not bet the race. Um my opinion is that if you're going to bet the race that you would take a stab at, uh, well, a couple of horses we've talked about and maybe one we haven't yet.
0: All right, and uh, we will continue to move on the outside. Been through a little more than half the field, three to go. Number five, El Kabir. Uh, stakes one last out, City of Laurel. Uh, I should say we've mentioned the Breeders' Cup. One thing I wanted to point out, Private Zone uh, came back and stunk out the joint <coughs> in the Cigar Mile, although he was beaten by a, a classic also ran in Tonalist. Favorite tail, on the other hand, uh, did come out of that sprint uh, and win. So, you know, decently formful. And there's there's been some time now. It's uh, almost two months, so a little better than the typical Breeders' Cup turnaround that people like to bet against. Anyway, on to El kabir who did not contest the Breeders' Cup. I know they were thinking about it. He was back on the comeback trail. He ran on Breeders' Cup Saturday, albeit at Belmont, and the Bold Ruler burned money at 11 to 10, did come back and won that race at Laurel. Both of those words, seven furlongs, where he is two for three lifetime. Uh, people kind of thought he, he was a horse who could go on and be a two-turn horse, and he did okay on the inner. Uh, but seven furlongs might be his game by the late scat daddy. Uh, and he's the type of horse I like to talk about on these podcasts because start off the layoff, so you have the form cycle to look at. And as a four-year-old, is there development left for him? Uh, the numbers can help point those things out. So what do you make of El Kabir in this spot?
1: Well, and I would just go back uh, and comment on, um, you know, let let me make a comment on Favorite Tail, since you brought Favorite Tail up. So Favorite Tail came back 28 days after the Breeders' Cup. Favorite Tail ran a 79.6 at Keeneland uh, with 77s and 78s before. And Favorite Tail ran 72 in, in Pennsylvania. I don't even know what race favor tail ran in um so there was that's pretty significant regression right ed i'm looking at private zone right now what place did favorite tail go in do you recall
0: uh i don't uh and i'm guessing maybe he won something in aqueduct but um he may have shipped down to gulfstream as well uh definitely we could no it, a, was, it was in first net pp's hot
1: yep okay So then Private Zone ran at Aqueduct 28 days later following an 80.4 figure in the Breeders' Cup Sprint. Uh, Previous to that, he ran 80.6. So again, figures up where Run Happy was. He regressed 10 points to a 70. So the two horses that you mentioned ran second and third to Run Happy regressed 8 and 10 points respectively in their following races. That's another sign maybe that, that, that supports the idea that Run Happy could regress right? Um, you know, if I saw if I saw numbers in the higher 70, you're talking about 10-point regression, 8-point regression by horses that only finished a length or two off Run Happy. Now you're putting Run Happy in probably against better horses than they ran in after a big lifetime effort, with the whole trainer thing stripping across country, and it begins to little, look a little more suspect to me. Um, in terms of El Kabir, you know, I was, I was smiling when I said, thinking about, like, I recall at this time last year we were talking. You were, we were talking about Al Kabir as being the, <laughs> the top horse for the Kentucky Derby, right? I mean, he won the Jerome, and I think he ran well. In the, he ran well in the Withers, two of the races that were beginning to establish who was going to be competitive. Um, he is coming back. You know, he does have the Zayat positive. I mean, Kabir hasn't run an eighty yet. It's not to say that he couldn't. Um, you know, he's somebody that certainly is worth a, a long look. His stalking <clears throat> running style might be an advantage in here uh if if in fact Run Happy gets pressed.
0: Yeah, the uh this time of year uh Zayat uh, obviously had champion American Pharaoh, but he was on the sidelines with an injury with no timeline for his return and we were talking about El Kabir and Mr Z and yeah, how yep, things yeah. can change over the, the course of a year. Sure. Uh but sure. you know he he hasn't uh you know he didn't make the Derby but you know, it was a useful spring for sure. He won the Gotham third in the, the Twin Spires Wood Memorial, uh, getting beat by Frosted and a, a favorite of yours, Ten Sender. Uh be interesting to see what, what names we latch onto to, the three-year-olds uh, next year. Uh, there's always a few of our favorites. Uh, anyway, this was one of them. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's price dependent to me at the morning line. I think eight to one, it's one of the more interesting lines. I think he'll take a little more money than that, however, but, uh, as always, the board's the ultimate decider. Number six, Reed Sanchez, 30 to one on the morning line. You have him around 45 to one. I do not give him much of a chance, uh, although he has been off a while and he did show zip. He won his de- career debut by 10 lengths, going five furlongs at Santa Anita. So we know he can gun out of the box, and he can fire fresh. And I agree with you. Doug O'Neill is in these races. He likes to win, even with long shots. The only shot to win is going to be going for the lead, and that's where this one's going to be. I just don't yeah. think he's going to yeah.
1: last. Yeah, well, I mean, you do have to acknowledge he puts the blinkers on for the first time, and when O'Neill puts the blinkers on, it doesn't mean the horse is going to be coming from off the pace. It means the horse is going to be going. He does show speed. Uh, he has a, some decent four furlong figures. He did run 78 and a new pace top uh, at Del Mar in 2014. I mean, it's a long layoff to come back. I would imagine the horse is going to be pretty good for, sprinting and i think the horse is going to be decent fresh look at the one time the horse ran uh first time out lifetime was a good race so i think you're going to see bad, sen- bad Reed bad sanchez come back in decent shape i think he's going to have enough speed on the front end to maybe cause a little bit of a nuisance for a run happy which could set it up uh, I, I wouldn't i would not put use him on top i wouldn't use him at all but i do think Uh, for those who are going to take a stand against Run Happy, you want Bad Reed Sanchez to be good. Uh, Yeah, uh, I
0: can't disagree with that. Uh, Yeah, and it's another one of those situations where, you know, to take the stand against Run Happy, you don't need Bad Reed Sanchez to win or even be in the picture, but you want him to run his race for at least a quarter of a mile. Uh and He is to the outside, so uh, you know, there was, there's been some chatter about Run Happy, not only the starts, uh, but his ability uh, to be inside horses. Uh, some think that was uh, a reason he did not start that well in the Phoenix, uh, and granted, he did win gates of wire. He made up that ground, but he got a big rail pass after the stumbled start, breaking from the rail. No one uh, no one turned left, so to speak, Uh You know, that might not be the case here, and, you know, if he finds himself inside horses with nowhere to go, it's a different ballgame for sure. And at 3-5, to that's not really where you want to be, but at least you're getting a Hall of Fame jock to navigate that scene. Last but not least, Lord Nelson, uh, a Bob Baffert horse, who never was really a big name on the Triple Crown Trail. He was in the San Felipe, but he got well beaten by a stable mate at 10-1. to But he was a horse people thought uh, would excel at these types of distances, and he was second in the bay shore uh he was 5 to 2 in the one turn mile the pat day mile on uh Kentucky Derby week and uh, that may have actually been Kentucky Derby day may second last year uh and he's off a long layoff as well he comes in here i would like to see one race where he was actually fast enough he's been consistent mid 90s all the way on brisnet Uh, but too many in here have already run a triple digit for me to take five to one, that this is going to be the time he finally does it.
1: Yeah, I I would agree. Um, I'm just pulling up the background of this. Okay. So this is the only runner out of the damn African Jade um, by pulpit bred back to Arch daddy, bred back to, uh, bred back to Arch, bred back to Harlan's holiday. Um, you know, the running style. It looks to me like this horse is disappointed um, from where the expectations were for 300. Well, I mean they paid 340. I think I think Lord Nelson's going to look to need one from a value pay, play perspective. He's listed as too slow. I think you would see a change if he had uh, a race under his belt. But he would be one I would, uh, and based on the value plays, we'd toss.
0: There you go. Yeah, I just think it's too short a price. And Bayerano, a a lot being made of all the horses shipping in, but the jockeys are pretty much local. Uh, Obviously, Gary and and Mike take money, and Joel Rosario is a known name. But uh, Rafael's own Southern California from a wind standpoint uh, it most meets. And, you know, couple him with Baffert. Uh, and a horse people thought this would be his game, that sort of middle-distant one-turn type and uh, underlay looms for sure. Uh, My bottom line on the race, uh, you know, I don't think I'm going to make any win bets on Run Happy. Uh I'm pretty comfortable singling him uh, in Uh the Maltese. I think it's a deep, deep uh, card, uh, nine very good races. There's a great one before this one, uh, and I hope to get lucky elsewhere in terms of beating a a chalk. This isn't going to be the place I try to do it too much, uh, but I will look at the exacto will pays uh, 235 with four and four over 235. And if something's out of line because a certain combination got hammered, I might take an action stab in an exacto. But uh-huh. uh, what you said about sometimes the value plays tell you to lay off the race, that might be the case here. Uh, yeah. There's just an obvious favorite and the, the edge uh, just might belong to the track on this one with the takeout.
1: I'm going to look at it in, in a different way, Ed, and, and take a stand against... Um, yeah, if I'm going to play, I would I would leave myself just uh, watershed and marking um, probably in this race. And I would do um, seven, race 7 and 8 doubles and race 8 and 9 doubles. Um, I think that there are probably a couple. If you get to value plays for Santa Anita for this weekend, there's a couple interesting plays in the seventh race as well. Uh, uh, as the ninth race, there's a turf decline line in there. Um, so a couple valuable, interesting plays in the races. sandwiching race eight, which means doubles could be interesting. I mean, the takeout's a little bit high, and usually I like to pay pick fees and pick fours, but um, it's tough to do when you, you know, as you're taking a stand and using the horse, if you're going to take a stand against the horse, it's not the kind of place you do it in a pick four because, uh, you know, like you said, maybe the horse has a uh, say, 65% chance of winning the race, right? So um, six and a half, seven out of ten times, you're going to be losing that bet.
0: Yeah, and uh, the, the price uh, might not compensate it. Kind of one to two, uh, you'd need to win two-thirds of the time. So even if he wins uh, 60%, it's a, a losing proposition, so it's a tough spot to be in. Uh, you mentioned the turf decline line. You mentioned the deep field potential for value. You mentioned being familiar with Santa Anita. Uh, you certainly live closer to it than I do, although neither one of us is driving from our homes there. Uh, but just in general, any uh, – tips for playing the races, anything to, that you like to look at, the, the down-the-hill is a favorite configuration of people uh, for people to play. Uh, it's fun for turf sprinters. Uh, anything you look at on the numbers uh, that you think yes. is especially powerful Santa Anita? Good,
1: good question, Ed, good question. And this is from the pace figures, so if you're going to get the pace figures for Santa Anita. You have to look back at find horses who ran well at this track. So you're going to find horses from the West Coast shipping in from Del Mar, and you're going to find them shipping in from Los Alamitos. Those horses, unless they have prior form at Santa Anita, should be discounted. Uh, uh, you know, I would almost rather see somebody coming in from Churchill or, or somewhere else. You need to have shown a capability over the Santa Anita surface that they're going to be running on. So if they're running on dirt, you want to try to find an equality there. But Santa Anita plays... Uh, horses that have gone over the track tend to tend to run back well over the track it's it's an experience because of the way the um because of the way they do things in on the west coast it's just much different than they do things everywhere else so um and that's why at least in the you know like in the race before that like the ten horse has a couple as a bit of experience um finest city uh, uh out west um but yeah, I would say you got to find horses that have run well at Santa Anita before. Like, cavorting's uh,
0: really drawing, sure, especially down the hill. People
1: will will tell you that. Cavorting's drawing a lot of money. I mean, Cavorting is getting going to be overbet. Again, coming back uh, another Breeders' Cup horse that's shipping out west and coming back. I think he's very vulnerable, even more, way more vulnerable than uh, Run Happy. I mean, we have Cavorting in the. <clears throat> in the pace figures as uh in the value is a too slow huh. so wow talking about <laughs> yeah two to one or even shorter favorite than that that is at this point like sixth or seventh choice in the value plays. so that that makes my eyes a little wide open um and then you know so that's where i come up with a couple horses maybe in the seventh race but you can get the value plays for um this week and and uh Catch up with you, I guess, after the first of the year.
0: Yeah, and uh, I would say cavorting uh, to me, definitely, I'd rather go against her than run happy. But if you you go against both and connect, uh, you're going to be launched. Uh, to me, cavorting just has that perfect storm of the known name. Uh, she has some east coast, uh, you know, east coast uh, recognition. Steve Chris wrote how she should be champion if she wins this champion sprinter. I, I don't see it. Uh, But to me, that's only going to take more money, so uh, it's a great opportunity. And if you don't want to be Run Happy, then try to be Cavorting uh, would be my advice.
1: Not bad advice, Ed, not bad advice. All
0: right. Yep, and, yes, we will talk. uh, I'm not sure if it will actually be in the new year when we next talk, but the race we preview will be in the new year. Uh, Some three-year-old preps, uh, horses turn a year older on January 1st, and we start the prep season on January 2nd, and uh, hopefully we'll have some advice uh, for our listeners, and more important, or I shouldn't say more importantly, but uh, something to brag about after talking about the Malibu as well next week. But uh, regardless, hope everyone has a great opening day at Santa Anita, and that includes you.
1: Thanks, Ed, and I'll uh, catch up with you after the first of the year, and you can follow me on Twitter at, at Danny Zuck, and you know I'll be pounding away if, if Run Happy doesn't Run Happy. <laughs>
0: Very good, and we'll uh, be retweeting your uh strutting your stuff. So, yeah, at Danny Zuck, uh, the numbers uh, that we talk about are on Twitter as well, at Predictive Form and at BristNet, so lots of good handicapping information between that. You can follow me at EJXD2. Hope everyone has a happy holiday season, a great day at the Great Race Play Saturday, and uh, we'll talk to you next week for Kentucky Derby prep season. All uh, right, do-